This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. If you're new here, we are a family of Christ followers. We love our Father, and because we love our Father, we want to be just like Him. And so we choose to love people the way He loves them and to serve the world as the hands and feet of Jesus. We're just a small expression of the body of Christ. We've just simply chosen to link arms and to fulfill God's purposes in the earth together because we recognize that we're stronger together than we are individually. At Harvest, um, guys, what is our purpose? Our purpose is to... Make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. And we do that through community, discipleship, and outreach. For a while now, we've been discussing our identity and the responsibility that we have as followers of Christ. What is a follower of Christ? Somebody who's repented and turned from their old life and laid down their life. We've died. We've laid down our life and surrender, allowing Jesus to live through us. Amen? As we just mentioned, one of our biggest priorities here at Harvest, one of our biggest priorities is community. And we know that we were created to be loved by God. We were created for relationship. It's all about relationship. And so because of that, we have to recognize that relationship is something that, that we need to discuss. It's something very important. It's all through the word. The love of God is all through there. And so it's something that we've got to talk about. And so for the last few weeks, we've been doing a series uh, that we've called Relationship Goals. And we're talking more about, um, as we walk through our single life into married life, what do relationships, what are they supposed to look like and what is our responsibility in these? Now, we talk about goals. I hope that all of you have goals in your life. I hope that you have some financial goals and some family goals and some spiritual goals and, and, and even some health goals. And I hope that you have relationship goals. I hope you have relationship goals. I hope you seek to honor God in your relationships. So as we talk about relationship goals, why don't we do some more Instagram photos? Y'all good with that? I a few weeks ago, I searched on Instagram relationship goals and found 22.5 million posts on Instagram that were tagged with a hashtag relationship goals. This time, we, we did the mushy, you know, gag me with a spoon ones the last couple of weeks. So I tried looking for a few more humorous ones. So uh, I can't remember what I've got. Go ahead and hit the first one. That's awesome. My soulmate is out there somewhere pushing a pull door. I just know it. Next. Man, wife of the year award right there. Wife steals cop car with husband cuffed inside. How many of you would do that for your spouse? <laughs> Next. How many of you would say, that's us? That's us right there, sharing a good sandwich. Relationship goals, right? Next. This one. I love this. I saw this a long time ago because, you know, how he talked about these pictures on Instagram, these relationship goals. They're carefully posed and edited. Here's somebody trying to do a, a great picture for Instagram, and there's the way it ended up. I was like, that is the most awesome relationship goal picture I have ever seen in my whole life. Next. <laughs> That'll probably be me and Shauna one day. Next. I think there's one more. (laughs) 
one, one bad relationship away from 30 cats. Guys, I hope you have goals in your relationships. And if you have relationship goals, I pray that they are meaningful goals. I pray that they are good goals. As we talked about previously, we don't want what normal people have today because normal people think about what a relationship should be like and they look at Instagram and they type in relationship goals and they think it should be these pictures they see of people walking hand in hand and dancing on the beach, you know, and, and doing all these, these crazy... Have you guys ever watched the, the videos of people trying to reenact some of the pictures that they... Anyway, you'll have to... Anyway, you have to look that up. But as we talked about previously, we don't want today's normal because that's what people think normal is. But behind the normal, behind these these carefully posed and carefully edited pictures, there's all kinds of hurt and fear and resentment and bitterness and divorce. It's it's behind these pictures that we're looking at and, and we're calling goals in our society today. We've got to want something different. And to have something different, how many of you know we have to do something different? Right? So we talk about relationship goals. Guys, it's important to have goals. Because here's the thing. Nobody ever starts out and says, you know what? I'm determined I'm going to have a really bad relationship one day. It's going to be awful. It's going to be a nightmare. Nobody ever says, you know what, one day I'm going to, in my marriage, I'm going to compulsively buy so much stuff that all we do is fight about, marriage for you, fight about money for years. Nobody says that, but it happens every day, doesn't it? Nobody ever says, I hope one day I become a raging porn addict. That way I can have these uncontrollable lusts and no real intimacy in my personal life. Nobody ever says that. Nobody ever says, I'm going to start off my relationship by telling little white lies. And one day they're going to grow into great big lies. So that I can live a lie and crush the one who has dedicated their life to me. Nobody ever says that. But it happens every day, doesn't it? Nobody ever says, I want to get so, 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 so busy in life that I neglect my spouse with the kids, with my job, with my hobby, with my friends. Nobody ever says that, but have you know, it happens every single day, doesn't it? We're not going into relationships on accident. I hope if you want to be married one day, you're not just wandering into a relationship hoping that you'll fall in love. We're actually doing the right things to lead us into relationships that will honor God in each and every way and be a godly example. How many of you want that in your life? We talked about having Jesus at the center of our life. We talked about having Jesus at the center of our relationships. We talked last week about being kingdom-minded and mission-driven in our lives and in our relationships. But today, I want to take it a next step. I told you guys this last week. I want to talk about standing firm against darkness. Standing firm against the schemes of the enemy. And how many of you know, this starts in your personal life. This starts in your single life. It also applies to our marriages. And why do we need to do this? And I'm going to have you guys, we're going to go to Ephesians 6 for just a moment. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it. You can go to the Version Bible app. The notes are all there. But in the New American Standard Version, it says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm. Everybody say, stand firm. Against the schemes of the devil. Why? Because 
Our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. I don't know if you know it or not, but we have a spiritual enemy. If you haven't recognized that in your life yet, he hates God and he hates everything that God loves, and that includes you. The devil and all the demons of hell are scheming to destroy you every single day of your life. They're looking for where you're weak. They're looking for where you are vulnerable. They are studying you. They're studying your marriage. They're studying your relationships. They are trying to steal, kill, and destroy. But Paul comes back and he says, he says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. How many of you are glad that your spouse is not your enemy? You may be tempted to think so sometimes. But your spouse is not your enemy. Instead, it says we're fighting against evil rulers and authorities of an unseen world. Why do we try to take it out on our spouse? They're not our enemy. Whatever God blesses, the enemy curses. Whatever God loves, the enemy hates. So if you find yourself struggling in your relationship, you're frustrated, you're angry, you're afraid, you're resentful, you're hurt, you're tired... You're losing trust. You've got to remember that your spouse is not the enemy. You're fighting against spiritual forces of a dark world that have been scheming and scheming to destroy you. And thinking about this, imagine for a moment, imagine for a moment that somebody was stalking you. They were coming after you. It gets worse and worse. Now you're having close calls. You're calling the police. You're doing all that. Finally, you get a restraining order against them. It gets worse and it gets worse, and they hate you, and they're coming after you. They finally get thrown in jail. It's like, wow, finally some peace. Time goes by until one day you catch word that they've escaped. Now they're really angry, and they're coming after you. They hate you, they hate your family. They know where you live. They won't hesitate to break in. They won't hesitate to hurt your children. They'll rob you of your belongings. They'll go after everything that matters to you. What do you do? Well, you're going to be so on guard, it's going to be ridiculous, right? You may be known as the most peace-loving person in the world, but some of you are going to go get a security system right quick. Some of you are going to get a big old dog that bites, some of you are going to get motion detector lights. You're going to tell people. You're going to tell your neighbors. You're going to tell, warn your kids. You're going to keep a close eye on them. You're going to pray. You're going to do all these things. You might not even like weapons, but you may go get one. Why? Regardless of your philosophy, you're not going to let somebody come in and steal your stuff and hurt the people you love, right? You're going to stand firm. Peter talks about this. In 1 Peter 5, 8, you guys know this verse, but I'm going to read it from the New Living. He said, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Say, my great enemy. You have a great enemy, guys. Your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Why are we watching out and on guard? Because there is an enemy that's prowling around like a hungry lion, and he wants to take you out. You may have heard this scripture a hundred times in your life, but the enemy is looking right now for marriages to destroy. And by the way, how many of you know that he never mentions his intentions to attack? He never says, hey, I'm coming this week. No, it comes suddenly, doesn't it? He tries to catch us off guard when we're not ready. 
The Bible says he's the father of lies. And he always attacks, and he always attacks in one of two ways. He always attacks either with distractions or with seductions. So we talk about that for a minute. Last week we talked a little bit about Eve. How you know Eve was distracted? The serpent distracted her. We talked about how she, he separated her from her husband, brought her to a place where she questioned the word of God and dangled a piece of fruit in front of her and said, you need this to be happy. I was thinking of, of others. Uh, King Solomon, Solomon loved God, but he was increasingly distracted by, by trying to please man instead of pleasing God. And then I thought about, one of the last ones I thought of, I thought of Judas. Just like a lot of good American churchgoers, he walked with Jesus week in and week out. But he was distracted by a lot of other things, I would argue. In the end, he betrayed him over a little bag of silver. Satan attacks with distraction. In fact, there's a verse in the Old Testament where Solomon is pursuing the Shulamite woman, who he calls his beloved one. And he writes about her in the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, you may, you may call it. And um, I thought I, I might, I've got a passage out of the Song of Solomon. I thought I might have our elder, uh, Robert Montgomery, come up and read that for us. Oh, no. And, oh, Okay. I heard he read from the Song of Solomon all romantic this morning. I, 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 I don't know. Uh, you want to pass this time? <laughs> but God, Solomon says here, he says, he says, your hair is like a flock of goats. He says, your neck is like the Tower of David. And he, he says stuff about other body parts too. You might need to be 18 to read some of that. But he makes some comments that may sound weird to us today, but it must have been compliments back then, for real. Must, oh, I guess it was. It's his beloved one. But if you go to chapter 2, Song of Solomon chapter 2, in verse 14, he says, Oh, my dove, <laughs> oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Everybody say, oh, oh. You know what I say. In verse 15, everything changes. He says, then he all of a sudden, he goes from that and says, catch the, little, catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that spoil the vineyard for our vineyards are in bloom. You sit there trying to think, catch the foxes for us. He's giving all these compliments and he says, go catch the foxes that spoil the vineyard. What's he talking about? So in verse 14, he's being all, all, all sweet and romantic and poetic and all this stuff. In verse 15, he says, go catch the little foxes for us. Now, what, what was the deal with foxes back then? Foxes would go in and they'd eat the blossoms of the crops, and the crops wouldn't bear fruit. So they were always chasing off the foxes. The foxes were a problem. But they were small. And you see one fox, a little fox, and it's like, oh, it's not a big problem. The problem is and they bring back a few other families with them, Right? And so what would they do? The foxes would eat these blossoms so they wouldn't get fruit. And what's, what's Solomon saying here? He's saying we've got to watch out for the little fox, foxes, the ones that seem harmless, the ones that are barely noticed, the ones that nobody likes to talk about. But if they go unchecked, they can destroy the whole harvest. What does our enemy do? Our enemy tries to distract us with little foxes in our lives, little things. Not big, obvious things, little bitty things that some people might not even notice, might not pay attention to. 
What are the little foxes for you? I just started making a list of a few things. Maybe the little foxes for you, maybe, maybe the distraction for you is, 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 is comparison. Is that how the enemy gets you? Maybe he comes along and he says, well, your husband's not nearly as romantic as that guy at work. He doesn't take you anywhere special anymore. And man, y'all's conversation, you know, he doesn't say anything sweet and intimate to you anymore. Not like that guy at work who looks you in the eyes and says, listens and says sweet things to you. Or maybe it's the little things like, like, like Shauna talked about a couple weeks ago. She was talking about the nitpicky things. Those little, those little ridiculous, meaningless, insignificant things that married folks, we get in arguments over, intense conversations sometimes over. Little thing. You can't remember the next day what it was even about because it was so stupid and so little. You're sitting there trying to remember. Why am I holding a grudge? Why am I holding a grudge? And you can't remember because it was so dumb. Why do I see a sock on the floor instead of the hamper? Am I your maid? I don't like the way you drive. I don't like the way you walk. I don't like the way you chew so loud. It's like the little nitpicky things. Maybe it's fights over money. Maybe you've got no plan, no vision, no direction. Maybe you're always fighting over money. Maybe one of you is controlling and critical and nitpicky. Maybe one of you is very passive and, and barely even engages. But the bottom line is this. The enemy knows your vulnerabilities. He knows where you're weak. And he will attack whatever triggers your anger and your fear and your insecurities. He'll do it every time. And he'll tell you, he'll start telling you things in your relationship. He'll say, y'all aren't compatible. Y'all aren't compatible. I think maybe you made a mistake. Surely this isn't God's will for your life. He'll attack with little distractions, little things that take you off track and bring division. Why? Because the devil hates what God loves. And so he brings in distractions. The devil also uses seductions. And most often when we look at this, this is, this is like sexual temptations to take us away from God's plan. Did you guys know, I, I read this and I had to go back and double check it and make sure it was right. In 2002, remember this, 2002. The American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers questioned 350 divorce, lawyer, uh, divorce attorneys and found that roughly 60% reported that internet porn played an, a significant role in the divorces with excessive interest in online porn contributing to more than half of such cases. 2002, the bare, internet was barely a thing. This is why Ephesians 5.3 is so important to us. You guys know this. It says, but among you, there must, not, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Say, not even a hint. Not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. He said, there must not be even a hint among you. Sexual immorality, any kind of impurity. We don't want to open up a door in any way for darkness to come in to our lives, or much less our marriages. We've got to keep the door closed. The problem is, he says, not a hint. The problem is, we could get into a debate right now on what a hint means. So everybody, well, that's not my conviction, brother. I, what is a hint? He says, not a hint of sexual immorality or impurity. What does that mean? Where can, where can we agree? What if... You lie to your spouse and you go out and have an adulterous affair with somebody you met online. Is that a hint of sexual impurity? Can we agree on that? Okay, so then let's bring it down a level then. What if you just 
just watch a little bit of, a little bit of porn on the internet. Just, just once or twice a week. Is it a hint? It's more than a hint. What if instead of porn, you just watch some, you just like to watch mildly inappropriate movies with your spouse? That it doesn't show everything, you know. It's you know. Is that a hint? What's a hint? What if you like to dress all sexy and immodest out in public, bring attention to certain things sexually? What if you like to put stuff like that on social media? Is that a hint? What if you have borderline inappropriate conversations with someone? I'm not talking about just somebody of the opposite sex. Even sitting around, guys sitting around with the guys. Borderline inappropriate conversations. Is that a hint of impurity? Where's the line? He says, not a hint. Not a hint. I'm not going to leave the door cracked. I'm going to leave the door slammed shut so that it can't harm my life or my marriage. Slam it shut. We're not tolerating any kind of darkness. No impurity. What is impurity? Impurity is poison. Impurity is deadly. I was thinking about how what if you were in a room, you were locked in a room, and there was a big snake on the other side of the room? There's somebody else in there with you. They knew what they were talking about. They're like, that is a seriously deadly snake. You'll be dead in moments if it, if it strikes you. But you know what? It's over there. It's not going to do anything unless it feels threatened and you approach it. What are you going to do? Probably going to be in the opposite corner, right? <laughs> Him over there, me over here. But why is it? that we like to see how close we can get without getting harmed. We like to walk up and approach the line. Somebody says, don't cross this line, it's deadly here. What are we doing? We're sticking like a toe over that line. I'm not stepping across it. I'm not, it's just, my toe's just on it. It's not there. What? Why do we try to see how close we can get to the line? The closer we get, the more vulnerable we are. I think this is one of the reasons Solomon says in Proverbs 4.14, he says, do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it, do not travel on it, turn from it, and go on your way. Guys, again, don't set foot on the path of the wicked. That's where we as, as human beings, we like to go, oh, I'm not putting, you know, uh, I, my foot's beside it. It's on the line, that doesn't count. Why do we try to do that? He says, avoid it. He says, don't travel on it. He says, turn from it and go on your way the opposite direction. Not even a hint is what he says. In other words, we're going to distance ourselves from anything that might compromise any part of us that would hurt our marriage. So, if you're vulnerable, if your struggle is looking at things at your phone, well, you might have to get your phone locked down so that you don't have access to so much stuff. Or get rid, go back to a flip phone if you have to to protect yourself and protect your, uh, protect your marriage. Oh, is that too big a sacrifice for your marriage? I understand. There's somebody we shouldn't be engaging with, talking to, because when we talk to them, it stirs up certain emotions in us. We don't need to go to lunch with them. We don't need to be alone with them. Guys, some folks have thought that I'm a little bit crazy, but I never meet with somebody of the opposite sex without my wife present. I never do it. I mean, 
family. I would do it to my mom, Aunt Barbara, you know, my, my daughters, you know. Never anybody else. Never. Never. I can't risk it these days. It's too dangerous. Too dangerous. People say, well, it's personal, Pastor. I just need a little counsel, and I don't even want Sean to know. I will refer you to somebody, but I'm not the one. I'm not doing it. I will not be behind a closed door with anybody uh, anymore. Sorry. Not going to do it. Accusations. If we find ourselves, we find ourselves with somebody at work that we're emotionally connecting with in a way that we're not emotionally connecting with our spouse, change departments. If you can't change departments, you switch jobs. Is your marriage not worth it? Or do you think you're just that good and nothing will ever happen? If you go to the gym and you find yourself visually having issues, you might have to start working out at home. If you're looking at all these relationship goal hashtags on Instagrams leading you to images that you're struggling with, you might have to delete Instagram. Is your marriage worth it? What we're going to do is we're going to distance ourselves in any and every way from anything that could harm us or bring an attack on our marriage. Because we're not going to allow even a hint of anything that could dishonor God. We refuse to do anything that could remotely cause our spouse or anyone else to question our faithfulness. Now, I know there's people that have said, well, that's kind of extreme and crazy. But is it? Is it really? Why in the world would I fight a temptation today that I have the power to, uh, fight a temptation tomorrow that I have the ability to eliminate today? Why in the world am I going to leave a door open that, that I have the ability to lock today? I'm not going to fight something in the future that I can eliminate right now. I'm not going to see how close I can get to the line. The Bible says, Scripture says, not even a hint. The enemy is coming for you, and he wants to compromise you, and it will start in the smallest ways. Again, you might be here, and you might think, well, that's a little ridiculous and overboard. Or you might be on the far other extreme of that and say, you know what? <laughs> you know, I, I, I just... I've gone so far, I haven't even really had a line in the sand. I've compromised so much. You don't know how messed up I am. I don't know what to do. The temptations are just too great. Well, the good news is, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul talks to both extremes in this. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overcome you, but such that is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape also, so that you are able to endure it. To the person who thinks it's crazy that I would never have lunch with or meet with a woman, look what, look what verse 12 says again, but look at it in the Passion Translation. So beware if you think it could never happen to you, lest your pride become your downfall. He says, be careful if you think you're standing firm. Be careful if you think you'll never fall because pride always comes before your fall. Not going to open the door. Not going to do it. Not a hint. To the other person, the one that says that I'm stuck and I can't get out and the temptation is just too great, I'm already compromising. He says, no temptation has overcome you except that which is common to man. How do you know that we all deal with the same temptations? At the root, they look different. They come at different times, but as mankind, we deal with the same temptations in this, in this life. 
The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. It's common to us all. But here's the good news. He said here, he's saying here that God is faithful. He says he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. And even when you are tempted, it's said that God promises there's a way of escape. He gives you a way out. And I believe there's some of you here today that aren't here by accident. This is God giving you a way of escape. God's giving you a way out. Now, those of you that are married or those of you that are not married, you might be thinking, well, this is an easy message to sit through because it's not for me. It's for the married folks. It's not pertaining to me. Oh, really? The devil attacks us all. He's scheming to attack us regardless of our relational status. And he wants to distract and seduce us. And some of us have turned away from our first love. And if you're really honest with yourself, you would recognize that you're not pursuing Jesus in your heart. But in word only. People say, well, one day, one day when I meet the one, I'm going to get my life together and I'll start being more careful about some of these things. But I'm single now, and I've got time, and I've got needs and, and whatever else. What you do today matters. What you do today shapes your future. I've said it over and over again. You don't build a life of righteousness on the, in the future on a foundation of sin today. You don't allow a hint of immorality in your life, not even a hint. Guys... Never I'm tempted to compromise. Never I'm tempted to do something that could potentially damage my marriage or the ministry or whatever else, some seduction or temptation. Or maybe I talk to somebody that has gone through something and made some bad decisions. There's times I stop and I think, what would happen if I did that? And I stop and I count the cost. What would that damage if I had done that? Visualize the destruction in your life of your own moral failure. I was thinking, you know, firstly, I recognize that I would have to stand before God and give account one day for those choices that I made. Now, look, I know that God forgives. I I totally get that. But I also know that I would hurt lots of people. I know it would hurt you, and I know it would hurt my family. I know it would hurt my friends. I would disappoint them. God would forgive me, but I recognize that I would lose the trust of the people I love the most. Not to say God can't pick up the pieces, but the cost will be high. It would crush my children, who my children know firsthand that I'm not perfect. They've seen my best and my worst, but I think they know in their hearts that my heart is after the Lord. And obviously, I would devastate my very best friend in the world, my wife, who has sacrificed so much. We have to count the cost. Because the enemy is coming to attack you and to attack your relationships. We have to be alert. We have to be prepared. We have to be ready. So in marriage, in your marriage, where are you most vulnerable? Talk about it. You talk about it with your spouse. Where are we most vulnerable to attack? If you're not married, you need to ask yourself, where am I most vulnerable right now? And you have to be honest with yourself because how many of you know that you're only as strong as you are honest? Whatever God blesses. The devil curses whatever God loves, the enemy hates. In those areas that you identify as vulnerabilities, you're going to have to go after them. In week one, we talked about having Jesus at the center. He is your one. Jesus is the one in your life. If you have a spouse, your spouse is number two. 
your three-stranded cord. Jesus at the center of it all. We talked about how keeping him in the middle of everything, talking to him, talking to him together every day, praying together. And when you begin to recognize vulnerabilities in your marriage, when you begin to see that you're under attack, you really go after it together. You join hands tighter than ever before, and you pray, and you stand against that darkness. You come into agreement. You pray. You confess God's word. And by the way, to confess God's word, you've got to know God's word, uh, which, is, which is very, very important because the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of this world, the Bible says. The Bible says the weapons we fight with have the power to demolish strongholds. We have one offensive weapon that the Bible says we've been given, and that is the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit is what? It's the word of God. Some of you some of you single folks, some of you couples, you need to stand together and you need to pull out your sword. You need to draw the sword of the Spirit and fight back the attacks of the enemy and begin to tell him, no weapon formed against us will prosper in Jesus' name. You stand together on it. Declare boldly that he is in us. He, he, he that is in us, <laughs> greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. In our marriage, we are more than conquerors. We are overcomers in Jesus. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony, we stand together strong. We don't back down. We don't fight each other. We fight together against the schemes of the enemy. And how many of you know that it's worth it? It's worth it to stand together and to stand strong. I don't know, there's some of you that you're married and you're fighting for it. And maybe, maybe though, maybe you've got a spouse that's not engaged in the fight. I want to take just a moment to talk about that for just a second before we close. And I was thinking, I was thinking something about even what Shauna said a couple of weeks ago. When I was thinking, you know, she was talking about the way that, that ladies, wives, uh, you, know, uh, you know, their relationship with their husbands and stuff. And, and part of what she was saying, ladies, if you're tempted to criticize, to be resentful, to be angry, to gossip, whatever it is, you may feel like you have every right to do so. But I encourage you to focus that energy toward believing, standing, praying for your husband. Tapping in every day into the power and the presence of God in any way that you can. And anytime you see anything remotely good, you tap into that. Rather than tearing down, build up. If there's any part of you that believes there is something good in that man, you tell him no matter how small. You tell him, I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you. If he's walking around passive, not want to make any decisions, tell them, I believe in you. And even if you don't believe it inside, even if you don't really, don't really believe them inside, say, I believe in the Jesus in you. You can do it. We can make it. I believe in us. And watch something begin to come alive in them. And guys, we kind of hit this a little bit last week, but we live in a world where men are becoming more and more passive. I'm not talking about being macho and domineering. I'm just talking about sitting down on the sidelines and not doing anything. And, and, I, and partially, I believe our society is pushing us in that direction, and we've got to resist it. If you're a passive dude sitting on the sidelines, get up. It's not time to spectate. Lead your family to Christ. You've got it in you. It's been wired in you, and you can do it. You're a fighter. You don't give up. Be the man. 
Fight for them. Bring them to church. You're the man of God. Serve together. Get a counselor if you have. I'm not getting a counselor. That's weak, man. The Bible says that when you are weak, his strength is made perfect and strong. Fight. Fight. Don't let the attack of the enemy keep coming against your family. Fight. Men, what would you do? Again, if somebody, if somebody comes and breaks into your home and comes in to harm people, you're going to go hide under the bed and be like, oh, dear, would you please go see what that sound was? Will you please go, go see what it No. You're going to get up out of the bed in your little whitey tighties, and you're going to grab something, if it's, a, if, it's a, if it's a house lamp, and you're going to turn it into a pair of nunchucks. And you're going to go Bruce Lee on that dude. Right? <laughs> because it was wired in us to stand up for those we love. <laughs> Guys, you're wired to give your life. You're wired to give your life. You'll die for those that you love. Here's the thing. God's probably not asking you to die. He's just asking you to live. Live for them. Live for them. Live for God. Just live for them. And here's the thing I know, folks. If you stand together for married couples, obviously that takes two. If you stand together making Christ the center and you're, you stay kingdom-minded and mission-driven, and you resist the enemy standing against darkness together, keeping your covenant, you will overcome. It's impossible for you to fail. You will overcome. You will make it. And you will prosper. In closing, as, as leaders in the church, obviously we know a lot of things about a lot of families and let me tell you, there are so many families here that we as the staff are so proud of because you may not know them and know their story. They may look like they have it together. They may be standing together, husband and wife. They may look like they have a great family and great kids and great whatever else it may be. But how many of you know there's always a backstory? We all have a backstory. I know families here that have gotten, they have pulled it together because uh, I, some of them I know are on their second marriage, blended families with all the pain and difficulty that, that, that comes with that. And, and we know many of the financial attacks they've, they've, they've endured and the marital attacks and the physical attacks and, and the relational hell that they've walked through, the marital, cha marital challenges. But we know so many of you, just like everybody else, they... You've been attacked, but you've learned through the process not to turn against each other. You've learned that your spouse is not your enemy. You stand together and you stand strong. And you say, not today, devil. Not my house, not my family, not my marriage, not my kids, not my job, not my finances. It's not happening. And you stand together firm. Christ at the center. Kingdom-minded. Mission-driven. Standing against darkness, not allowing even a hint of immorality, keeping your covenant with God and your spouse if you're married. They stand. Guys, it's hard work. And we will all have to fight for it. And it will take prayer and tears and repentance and forgiveness, but it's more than doable. 
What God blesses, the enemy attacks. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So stand tall and stand strong. Stand firm and be immovable. Not allowing even a hint in Jesus' name. Amen? Guys, just close your eyes for just a moment as we, as we conclude. Guys, if you're here today, if you're here today and you recognize the spiritual battle, I'm not talking about a battle in the future. I'm talking about you recognize the spiritual battle right now. You recognize that the enemy is scheming to steal, kill, and destroy you and your family, and your marriage, and you're ready to stand firm. You recognize that you need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to do battle. You recognize that you need His weapons, His offensive weapons, to use for His purposes. Just lift up your hands with me. Who in here would say, I need the power and the presence of God to stand against the schemes of the enemy? Come on, guys, should be every person. We are in a battle and there is an enemy seeking to devour and to destroy. And we stand against him in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for the power of your word, that sword. And Lord, I thank you for the life-changing power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for those who have lost hope in what is possible. Lord, those who have been burned, who have been hurt, who have been crushed. Lord, I thank you more than anything else that we can have a relationship with you and we don't need anyone else to complete us because Jesus completes us. We are complete in him regardless of our marital status. And Lord, I thank you. If you do send us a spouse, we praise you for that. We choose to be Christ-centered, kingdom-minded, mission-driven, standing against the forces of darkness and keeping our covenants. And we recognize, Lord, that our, mission, our, our, our life will be focused on you and the mission that you've laid out before us. Lord, we stand against the enemy and we choose to not allow even a hint of impurity and immorality in our lives in Jesus' name. We choose to honor the covenants, Lord, that we have made with you and the covenants that we've made with our spouses. Lord, I pray for every hurting marriage, for every broken person. Lord, where it seems like sin is too great to forgive, we thank you for your grace that's greater than anything that we could ever imagine. Lord, I pray for miracles, restoration. Thank you for healing, even now, Holy Spirit. Lord, forgiveness where we've gone astray. And I thank you, Lord, for your grace that tells us that we confess our sin. You are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I thank you for your healing touch in each and every life, in each and every marriage, in each and every relationship. In Jesus' name. If you're here and you recognize that Jesus is not Lord of your life, I don't want to close without giving you a quick opportunity to do that because it's the most important decision that you make in your life. Jesus has to be number one. 
Bible says that that sin in the garden that we talked about, that Adam and Eve committed, it put us all under a curse from that day forward. We were born into sin. That's why you may live your life recognizing that you can't seem to do anything right. Anything you do in your own strength is an utter failure. You're living with all this guilt and this shame and this regret. But you don't have to for another moment. The debt that you owe to restore that relationship with God was so great you could never repay it. But Jesus volunteered. He said, yes, I'll go. And he gave his life in your place. He paid the debt you could never repay by laying down his own life and shedding his blood. And now all you've got to do is lay down your life as well for him. Doesn't mean you've got to be physically crucified on a cross, but you choose from this day, this day on that it will no longer be you who lives. That you'll follow him to the end. You'll go walk to fulfill his purposes and his plans, not your own. What do we do? We recognize that we're sinful and lost. We recognize that sin separates us from a holy father. But we also recognize, as I just said, that as we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness through the blood of Jesus because of the price that Christ paid. You can be free of your guilt and your shame and your regret and all those things that you've carried for so long. And yes, there will be a price to pay. You've got to lay down your life and your desires and sometimes your opinions and sometimes your friends and different things that get in the way of what God has for you. But know that the plan that God has for you is perfect and you'll never be satisfied until you're pursuing it. If that's you, if you're here, let's just, just bow your heads real quickly with me. If you're here and you recognize that your life is not surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, just lift your hand up to me and let me see. Anybody here that would say, I need to surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus today? Anybody at all? Lift your hand up high if it's you. Okay. Anybody else? You might be watching online. I know we got a crew at Rolling Hills Apartment Complex this morning. I love that you guys are joining us in the clubhouse today for service. Letitia is there. And, and, and when we get done praying in just a moment, she's going to want to pray with you. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you raise your hand here, if you raise your hand online, or, or maybe you didn't raise your hand at all and you recognize you need Jesus, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I want you to understand that it's not so much about the words as it is the position of your heart. It's not a one-time thing. You don't walk out and keep living your life the same way you did before. No, you have a mission now. You have a purpose. You're living for Jesus. And he wants to use you every day of your life from this point onward. You turn from your sin and your old ways. There's going to be a price to pay, but it's so worth it. Just pray with me, Heavenly Father. I recognize I'm lost. I'm alone. I'm bankrupt in my own sin. I'm lost in my shame, in my guilt, in my regret, and I recognize I'm nothing without you. So today, Jesus, I open up my heart to you. I believe that you are the Son of God, and you love me so much 
that you came and you laid down your life for me. But even death couldn't hold you. I believe that you rose from the dead and now you're seated on high. And so today, Jesus, I ask you to be Lord of my life. I make you Lord of my life. I ask you to come on in and to make me new, that new creation the Bible talks about. I turn from my sin. I lay it down before you, along with my guilt and my shame. And I walk away from it, following you. And just say, Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me to be everything you called me to be. I follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.